If you've got a Bible, uh, please turn to 2 Kings chapter 4, uh, verses 1 to 7. Uh, we're going to continue um, our series on the prophet Elisha. These two interlocking series we've done on Elijah and Elisha, these two mighty men of God. We're going to continue uh, with another uh, story from the life of Elisha. And it's 2 Kings 4, 1 to 7. Words will appear uh, behind me if you don't have a Bible or a phone with a Bible on or something like that. So you can follow along. This is what it says. The wife of a man from the company of the prophets cried out to Elisha, Your servant, my husband, is dead, and you know that he revered the Lord. But now his creditor is coming to take my two boys as his slaves. Elisha replied to her, How can I help you? Tell me, what do you have in your house? Your servant has nothing there at all, she said, except a small jar of olive oil. Elisha said, Go around and ask all your neighbors for empty jars. Don't ask for just a few. Then go inside and shut the door behind you and your, uh, you and your sons. Pour oil into all the jars, and as each is filled, put it to one side. She left him and shut the door behind her and her sons. They brought the jars to her, and she kept pouring. When all the jars were full, she said to her son, Bring me another one. But he replied, There is not a jar left. Then the oil stopped flowing. She went and told the man of God, and he said, Go, sell the oil and pay your debts. You and your sons can live on what is left. Okay, usually uh, in our talks on Sunday morning, we would uh, go into the detail of the passage uh, asking, well, what at least those who are doing the talk think are deep and penetrating questions about the context and why the author wrote this and things like that. And usually I do think this is probably the best way to go as we grapple with the Bible, either kind of in meeting like this or on your, on your own at home. Uh, however, I want to do things slightly differently today. I just simply want to make a very, very general point about this passage and spend then half an hour thinking about that point and unpacking it. Okay? There's one general observation I want to make here, and I'm sure it hasn't escaped uh, many of you. In fact, if, if, particularly if you're kind of new to the church or this is the first talking to church you've ever heard before, first bit of the Bible you've ever heard, this would be the bit that strikes you most, although some of us kind of phase out into the background. Did anyone notice a miracle happening in this passage? Something reasonably remarkable happens here, doesn't it? Um, if you have been with us over the last uh, few weeks, you notice this is not a new thing in the series on Elijah and Elisha. In fact, I can't remember one a, a story. Mark was saying about when Jesus turns up, he does remarkable things. You know, often the story, the writers of the stories of Jesus actually refer back to the stories of Elijah and Elisha because their ministries very much mirror what Jesus did. Because in every story, there are miracles happening. Has anyone noticed that as we've gone along? And I just thought today it would be odd to go through the whole of Elijah and Elisha and not kind of bring the miracle element to the forefront and just look at it, put it up. It's a bit of a hot potato. It's, a, it's something most of us are like, yeah, we like miracles, but you know, there's this and there's this. And just spend some time thinking about miracles. This passage and this whole series of passages makes a claim, and it's, the claim is this, that miracles are possible, Okay. I just like to bash that around a little bit this morning. Look at kind of other bits in the Bible. Definitely comment on the other stories we've seen in this series as well. Using this passage as something of a, a platform, I guess. And uh, my aim, just so you know uh, what I'm intending to do, you can see to see whether I've failed or succeeded at the end, I suppose, um, is to I want to encourage you towards a robust faith in God's ability and willingness to do miracles even today. I think sometimes we can think of faith as closing our eyes to the facts and just hoping for the best, and that's faith. And I want to be on this issue, that is not what faith in miracles is. Actually, we need to stare the facts down. Do you, do you know that kind of faith? 
There's a passage, one miracle in the Bible where this is most clearly shown, and I've I've referred to this often, but I think it's such a helpful story for us. And just to put it right at the forefront of the beginning today, when Abraham, uh, not in our series, but much earlier in the Bible, Abraham is promised a miracle. It's like, you will have a child with your wife Sarah and the two of them she was the two of them having no luck at all in that department and they were very old and this is what it says about Abraham's faith it says Abraham without weakening in his faith Abraham faced the facts what were the facts for him his body was as good as dead since he was about 100 years old and that Sarah's womb was also dead but he didn't weaken in his faith. He stared down the facts and he came out going, no, I believe God. And I think that's what we need to do with miracles because there's some difficult things about miracles that we've got to grapple with to believe in them. But we can't else saying, yeah, I've got a robust faith. I've got a sturdy faith uh, in what God's ability to break through. And I specifically want to reignite hope in some of you guys for situations that you're facing or that you can see others around you facing that seem to be naturally heading in a course that's leading to disaster and you see oh, I can see how this is playing out I want to reignite hope in, in you and that hope is the God of Elijah and Elisha because he's a God it was then he was a God of miracles and now he's a God of miracles okay so sound all right worth getting out of bed for yeah just about okay well we'll see won't we okay so the first question let's start very very generally then what is a miracle what what is a miracle now this definition I'm going to give you is not out of a dictionary it's kind of my own invention but I will then seek to justify it from the passage and and the bible my definition is this of a miracle is a miracle is an act of divine intervention that changes the natural course of events a miracle is an act of divine intervention that changes the natural course of events okay now I think we see this in two ways in this passage that we're looking at today, and both are helpful for us. Okay? Firstly, we see it in the way we would normally talk about miracles, I guess, of an amazing event that seems to completely defy the laws of nature. Because that's what we see here in this passage, don't we? You've got someone who has a small jar of oil pouring that jar into loads of other jars, which you're assuming those aren't like tiny jars, <laughs> okay? Uh, you're assuming she, the, the, the implication here is not that she's got some machine to like kind of generate oil out of whatever she finds lying around, or even that her friends thought, oh, she's asking for jars, probably better give her some oil as well. That's not, not in the passage at all. The, the implication of the passage is there is God reaches down and changes the very fabric of reality as this happens. I mean, imagine, I, I wonder what your mind thinks happened. Did God make oil out of nothing, out of the air around the oil? Did God create some change in the composition of the oil that it could suddenly clone itself? I mean, I can't even imagine how this would happen. But that's the passage that doesn't go into that. It's just, no, God comes in and he breaks the laws of nature. As he made the world, he can do things like that. And uh, we'd often talk of miracles in that sort of sense. And we've seen plenty of similar examples, even in this series. As I mentioned before, you've got uh, the, uh, the widow of Zarephath has a very similar experience. You might remember, I actually, I think I spoke on that passage as well with Elijah. And that time it's oil and flour. Is that more impressive? That he did it to flour? I don't know. But anyway, it's just it's equally as baffling and incredible. Uh, that same widow also saw her son die and then come back to life. That is tinkering slightly with the laws of nature. I'm sure you would agree, okay? Now, 
We've actually, if we'd had time, we could have seen this in lots of other stories. This is all over the story of Elisha. You think we've seen a lot of miracles. There are loads we're not even preaching on. We see in a couple of chapters, a guy healed completely of a deadly skin disease, just suddenly, just like that. We see yet another food multiplication miracle. Food features heavily in these stories, which is always a good thing. Um, <laughs> and next week, you're going to see the final story in this, uh, this series is a very puzzling miracle. You might ask why, but it certainly fits the breaking the laws of nature category where we see God through Elisha make an axe head float. Okay, thought the bear was odd. That's next week. Jonathan, good luck with that one. Okay, but it's again, these miracles all are kind of events, amazing events that defy the law of nature. However, while that is a miracle, the context of this story hints at a broader type of miracle that I would argue is just as miraculous, okay? Because in this story, it's not just an amazing thing happens. We notice the course of this widow's life is diverted dramatically from misery to joy. It's heading one way, God steps in and diverts the whole course of her life. So what happens? At the beginning, uh, the widow is in I think you could say dire straits, isn't she? I mean, her husband's died. She's got serious debts and her children are about to be taken off her. That's what would happen in those days if you had debts. Children taken away to be slaves, to pay for those debts. If you'd known her at that time, if you'd been a friend and she told you the story, this is where I'm at, you would have thought, there's only one way this one's heading and it's not good. This is going to trouble there's nothing she can do about it. There's nothing it seems her friends or family can do about it. Okay? It seems inevitable the way this is turning out. Yet by the end of the story, God stepped in and completely diverted her story. It's completely changed her story. Now, I know this isn't the case, but let's imagine that this story had slightly more conventional means of getting to this ending. Let's imagine she goes to Elisha, and Elisha says, you know, we'll pray about it, and they pray. And then the next day she receives a, a huge gift from a wealthy relative. Or I don't know, the creditor has a change of heart and says, ah, you know what, wipe off those debts, I'll show some mercy. Or uh, I don't know, a local dignitary falls in love with them, they get married and fixes the problem. I don't know, whatever it could be. Obviously, it's not in the story we're imagining. But let's imagine that did happen, and the story was, the beginning and end is the same. I still think we'd say, well, that's a miracle. I mean, for, for some of you, if you here don't believe in God or don't believe in miracles, you'd probably call it something else. You'd say, what, what a coincidence or uh, what, a, what a stroke of luck or something like that. But I guess as Christians, we call that a miracle because we would have a whole load of assumptions about what would be happening behind the scenes if those things happen. Because when there's a really bad situation that's unraveling towards disaster and we pray for that situation to change, then it does However that change happens, what we're assuming is that God has reached down from outside of the natural order of things, tinkered with stuff, and changed the way things are. You know, that is miraculous. Is that more or less miraculous than oil multiplying? I'd say that's just, just the same. Wow, there's, a, there's someone out there who steps in and intervenes in our lives, who changes our stories. It's a miracle. Actually, in the stories of Elijah and Elisha, again, there are a number of more natural miracles in these stories. So right at the beginning of Elijah's story, he prays, and for three years it stops raining. Okay, it's, it's possible to stop raining for three years. I know in England we think that's probably, wow, how could that happen? That's possible, okay? But no, it's a miracle. God shut up the heavens. Wow, how does that happen? What does he do? Put his hand under the clouds? I mean, how does this work? Well, we don't know, but it's a miracle. Elijah is fed by ravens for an extended period of time. So, you know, as far as I'm aware, it is possible for a, a bird to pick up some food in its beak and take it to another place. In a sense, there's no laws of nature broken, but no, no, what happened? God broke in. 
And of course, the bear <laughs> from a couple of weeks ago. Bears, you just don't put them near people. I mean, that happens, you know. But we know that story. Something else was going on in that story. No, God was diverting things to fulfill his purposes. Not necessarily kind of a physical impossibility happens, but it's still a miracle nonetheless. And if we were surveying all the miracles we've seen in these stories then, we can see, go back to my definition I used a minute ago, what ties them together, in all cases, God is intervening to change the natural course of events. I think the way to picture it for me that's helpful is like we live in, a, in this kind of bubble in this, as, as a planet, as natural system, we could call it, which is governed by certain laws which tend to play out in a very set way. But the message we get from the Bible, and particularly from these parts of the Bible, is that God is willing to reach into that system and even to break some of the most set rules in that system to reroute futures for the sake of his reputation and the good of his people. Okay? Now, with that said, with that outlined then, I think to get a good understanding of those interventions, I think we need to firstly understand that system. What is the natural system we live in then? What are the rules of that system? And then on the back of that to understand how it is that God breaks in. What kind of breakthroughs does he make generally? What do we see in the Bible on those things? Okay, So first of all, let's look at the natural system we live in. There's probably a picture. There it is. Look at that. The wonders of Photoshop. Okay. Um, Now just to be clear, I don't mean by a natural system like beat the system, like the government or anything like that. I don't mean the system in that way. I don't mean a human system. I mean uh, like uh, the natural system we find ourselves living in. The world works a certain way. There are laws governing how things happen. I mean a system like that. So I'd say there are t- at least two, uh, two ways that that works. First is, of course, the laws of nature. Okay, you might be familiar with them. If not, please do make yourself familiar with them or you could have some problems. Okay, uh, so we, and for all of us, we would uh, know and respect those laws. I, I would hope anyway that none of us are trying to jump out the window and trying to fly. We find the laws of nature kick in at that sort of point. Um, <laughs> well, quite dramatically, I would have thought. Now, those laws of nature, they just kind of help the world go along. They help us interact with our environment. But of course, they also have an effect on us. And in a sense, we are governed by them in a way that that kind of crushes us a little. We're bound by those laws and are victims of those laws in some ways. So as Paul puts it in 1 Corinthians 4.16, he says, talking about our bodies, he says, outwardly we are wasting away. It's, It's kind of not how we'd like to put it, but we all know what he means, don't we? The physical laws, the laws of physics, how they relate to our body. We're getting older. We're getting all me creaking joints and stuff like that. Well, it's decay, and eventually we're going to die. And that's the laws of nature on us. And as we'll probably go into in a short while, it's not how God originally intended it. There are reasons for that, but that's the world we have to uh, deal with here on earth. Now, I think that usually, like I said, we're pretty wise to the laws of nature, actually. We, We kind of get that stuff. But I think we're less wise often when it comes to some other laws that are pretty much just a set, and they're the laws of human nature. I think those are also very important to consider uh, when we think about the world that we live in. Because particularly, I think, the whole idea of cause and effect that we see in the world. If we see, a, I don't know, someplace snooker, called snooker cue, hits ball, ball moves proportional to speed and style of hitting, you get the idea. It's cause, cue, effect ball okay we see that we know that works but actually we don't consider that much when it happens in our own lives and how it happens interacting with other people I think sometimes there's a widespread feeling that we as humans can rise above the pesky laws of physics and carve out our destiny regardless and we have total power over our choices and decisions at any given moment 
Now, that quite simply is rubbish, and I could go into lots of stuff in philosophy and behavioral psychology and stuff like that, but I think for you guys, for this audience, maybe looking at the Bible may be more helpful. So let's start there, shall we, to show, show you what I mean. Maybe not. Do you want some behavioral psychology, maybe? So we can be on that is. Okay, I'll get Ian Johnson to come and do some a talk on behavioural psychology at some point. Anyway, let's go to the Bible. We're on safe ground there, I, I think. From the silence, I'm assuming that's the case. In the Old Testament, there was a book called Proverbs. Okay, anyone read Proverbs? Give me a wave. Okay, Proverbs, great. Book of Proverbs is written with one express purpose, to make us wise, it says. To make wise people wiser and foolish people just wise in the first place. The book of Proverbs functions as you would expect a book with that name to, to go, with lots of little pithy sayings, but they have a kind of general thought behind them usually, and that is very much in line with cause and effect. Basically, the general gist of things is, if you do this, this will happen. And if you do that, that will happen. But don't be tricked. If you do this, you will not get that coming out the other end. Cause and effect. So to give you a couple of themes that crop up quite a lot in Proverbs, if you're lazy, you will grow poor. That seems to come up in about 20 of them. If you don't listen to advice, you will get into trouble. If you train your kids, they will turn out well. I talked about that a little bit a couple of weeks ago. Cause and effect. The point seems to be that there's an order to the world that affects us, kind of like it does snooker balls and snooker cues. And you put this in, you get this out. And being wise, according to the author of Proverbs, is understanding that order and living in accordance with that order. In the New Testament, this idea is picked up upon uh, slightly different languages, and language you're probably a bit more uh, comfortable with, I guess. Paul writes this in Galatians 6, verse 7. He says, puts it very strongly, do not be deceived. That's quite strong. This is stronger. God cannot be mocked. What do you mean? What's so strong? What's what's this principle then that must be set into the world? This is it. A man reaps what he sows. Reap. You sow it, you reap it. Cause and effect. Do not be deceived. God cannot be mocked. A man reaps what he sows. Now, also we know that this whole thing doesn't just work for me reaping what I've sown or for you reaping what you've sown. Actually, in the world we live in, you can reap what I've sown. Do you know that? Scary thought. Even scarier for me is I can reap what you've sown. Oh no, what a disaster. No, because our actions affect others. We can be cause of effects outside of ourselves. It's clear from the very beginning of the Bible that's how God's made the world. That actually we sow something and actually this person reaps it. And that's knitted into the whole fabric of how this is. Just to clearly, I'm not talking about karma here. Of if you, something bad happens to you, it's your fault. No, no, actually, there's a corporate kind of element to this. This is the world we live in. And actually, there's things that I can suffer in my life. And the reason for that suffering is, well, it's that person over there. Nothing to do with me whatsoever. Sometimes we wonder if there's any reason. You know, usually, this scripture gives us some. We might delve back into those in a bit. But that's how it works. It, the reaping and sowing rule holds. So these writers then are telling us that we must understand the world works in a certain way and there are rules by which life happens. Cause and effect, sowing and reaping, and we must take those rules seriously. And actually, in some places, those rules are presented as being so set that we encourage not to expect any deviation from those rules. This is even more weighty because this verse comes from the mouth of God himself okay God asked Jeremiah this rhetorical question okay I think the implication is quite clear Jeremiah 13 23 he says this can an Ethiopian change his skin or a leopard its spots think about that for a minute 
No, he wasn't Ethiopian, but Michael Jackson might be a bit of an exception to the first half. You guys are hard work this morning. That's my best joke today. It doesn't get any better than that. Anyway, think of leopards. We all like leopards, okay? Leopards, we know the phrase, a leopard cannot change its spots. And the, uh, the idea is simple. And he's not talking about leopards. He's not talking particularly about one particular country of the world either. And what God's saying to Jeremiah is, no, you've got to understand the way the world is. If you go down and set your life on a certain course, it will stay on that course. Well, why would you expect anything different? I just want to let that settle in for a minute because that's in the Bible. This is, you might think, that isn't what happens. No, we, we don't think like that. Well, I think sometimes we need to think more like that. As we'll see in a minute, we don't just think like that. But we've got to be wise to the world around us. We've also got to notice that this is a very wise system that God has put in place. This is a good thing. The fact the world is like this gives us dignity and it gives us meaning to our lives. If God had made it so that we all live with just little bubbles around ourselves, not, not going to give you the bubble on there anyway, I probably shouldn't use that illustration, but um, the, the, everything we did, the effects were kind of soaked up and disappeared, you know, if anything went wrong, well, our actions would be completely pointless. God could have made the universe like that. He could have set the laws of nature like that, but he doesn't. No, he gives us dignity. He says, no, no, the things that you do are going to have an effect. They will affect your character as you get older. They will affect others around you. There's meaning. There's a point to who you are. The natural system that God has instituted means that we have dignity, that we have meaning, that we have purpose. And of course, if we were all wise and good and sensible people, this whole thing of what I've said would be great news to us. Because what we could do is we could sow good things and we could reap the benefits and flourish as humans. And we could just go around sprinkling kindnesses everywhere and watching as everyone blossoms with peace and joy and love from our actions. Yes, brilliant. This is great news. The reason that most of us would look at what I've just said and think, oh, this is hard, is because we know that we're not like that. We're not consistently good and wise. In fact, our default position is the other way. The Bible would say that we've become so corrupt and broken as individuals as we've collectively turned against God that what we as human beings naturally sow are not good things that lead to a good harvest. And therefore, living in such a system is not good for us. But it's not the system's fault. It's our fault. And because of that, I think we often try to fight against the reality of this situation. And so while we can't uh, deny the laws of nature, we often do try to deny the laws of human nature that I've outlined and replace them with a different law. Not the law of sowing and reaping or cause and effect, but let's call it the law of Bob Marley. I'll, I'll, I'll explain what I mean. Let's imagine a situation. I, let's imagine for me, I repeatedly refuse to listen to the wise counsel of others and I find my life going wrong. Okay? And I sit and I reflect and think, you know what, what should I do? Well, I refer to the law of Bob Marley. Don't you worry about a thing. Every little thing is going to be all right. You got it, Dave? You see where I was going now? Yep, you know, I thought it was good. wanted to hold it off. My comic timing is not there, I see, but, you know, getting there. Imagine this. Imagine a friend of yours makes just one bad decision after another, and you're like, here on the phone, oh, not again, no. And then they go, they ask you for advice. Well, what do you think is going to happen? And you say, I'll tell you what, mate. Don't worry. Don't worry about a thing. Everything's going to be all right. 
maybe I've seen this happen in practice lately with this exact, I think it was this exact picture actually. Uh, You see, as our nation makes bad decision after bad decision, rejecting God's wisdom left, right and centre, and another disaster happens. And everyone on Facebook's panicking and we think, "What what can I add to this discussion? You know what? That picture, that will do. Don't worry, everything's going to be all right. I'm actually amazed, I, I joke about it, I'm actually amazed how many of us as Christians who should know better from the word take this viewpoint and even think that that's what faith is. No, that's not faith. That's blind optimism and an incredibly naive way to view the world that God has spent much ink in the Bible trying to shake us out of. But with all that said, thank God for stories like Elijah and Elisha. Because actually what these stories that we've been looking at tell us is not just that every now and again we should pray for people to get better, and they will. We should do that. They do tell us that. But that's not the extent of these stories. What's happening in these stories is God shouting at us, this system here is not a closed system. I will not leave you trapped inside this system. I'm a God who breaks into this system and intervenes. I won't leave you to these cycles of causes and effects, sowing and reaping, even if it's your fault. I'm, I'm here and I'm available and I'm willing to reroute your futures, to monkey around with those laws and bring good outcomes even from bad things. He's an interventionist God. He's a God who breaks through. He's a God of miracles. It's what we see from the stories of Elijah and Elisha. The other stuff's hard, but you know, we've got to have a robust view of the world to come to that conclusion. Otherwise, it just becomes Bob Marley. And I love Bob Marley, he's great, but that's not a way to look at the world. I said we've got to face the facts, we've got to look them square on. Before I go on to God's intervention, which is where you all want me to be, I know, I want to just say one more thing about this natural system that we live in that I think is really helpful for us as we consider miracles, although it's not something we like to think of so much, is let's imagine a situation where things were different. Let's imagine if there's a situation where God set the rules in place and then sat back and watched things unravel, okay? And watched the law, those laws reaping and sowing keep going and didn't step in at all, okay? We couldn't, he wouldn't be blameworthy for that. That wouldn't be a bad thing. He wouldn't have done something immoral in that case. No, it would, if he let the system play out perfectly as it was, that would be reasonable. There would be a wisdom to that because the natural system is wise and good. It's a good system. It's just that we're not good. That's the problem. Whenever we reap what we sow, there's a real sense that God is vindicated, that it proves his word is true. Even actually, when we reap what others sow, or we have an accident, or there's an illness that sets in, there is a sense, hard as it is to say, if, you, if we can do this, it's, it is difficult. I'm not saying this in a flippant way, but you step back and say, you know what? You said, God, this would happen. When you said in the garden, when you said to them, don't eat from that tree, don't sow that, because what you'll reap is death. If you rebel against me, you know what? Suffering and pain is going to come into the world. You know, when we see that happening, you know what? If he, even if he chose not to step in, he would be glorified, because his word would have been true. I don't say this to ourselves, I don't say it flippantly. For me personally and for us as a family, at the moment there's situation after situation that we've been facing. I'm not going to go into them uh, today, but that have been like this. This kind of thing where we look at I think five or six situations where I say, look, if these things play out naturally, 
the way they seem to be playing out, there is much pain, there is much trouble, there's disaster afoot for individuals, for, for whole loads of people. And we've been praying for this stuff. And you know what? We know that God doesn't just sit and watch, but on occasion, whatever I'm about to say in a minute, we do know this, and we've got to square up to this, he doesn't always break in. He doesn't always intervene. He doesn't always do the miracle you ask for. And for us, as we pray for these situations, I'm going to be honest with you, we've not seen a whole lot of movement. We've seen actually nature take its course. Okay, that marriage, yeah, it's gone what we thought it would. And that's happened as well. It's got worse in some ways. That person, they got that decision again. Oh, they've reaped that, you know. That illness, that sickness, that situation. And actually... What's helped me, it's been helpful preparing this and thinking through this stuff because sometimes you have to step back and you say, actually, God, you're glorified just as much. It's painful to me, but you're glorified just as much as your word is vindicated in these situations as you would be if you stepped in. We sung earlier, we, how great thou art. The first two verses of that, that song is all about the world, the bubbling brooks and all of that stuff. you know. But it's what it's saying is the world that you made, the way you made this world, we praise you. We say how great thou art. Actually, sometimes we've got to say, you know what, you've put laws into place in this world. You have a wisdom that's at work in the world. Even when it affects us badly, you know, we're going to say, God, how great thou art. You you said if we sowed, we'd reap like that. You said as humans, if we went that way, it would lead to problems for other people. God, you're true. You're vindicated. It doesn't answer all our questions. It doesn't help us with all our disappointments. But it gives us a reason not to crumble under the disappointments. And what we've got to do at those times, and what I, I'll be honest, I've, I've struggled with, but I think I'm, I think I'm there, or <laughs> getting there slowly, is we don't touch this point and say, well, that means that the system is stuck, that God never breaks in. No, we say, yeah, I don't understand it fully. You're vindicated from the system, but I'm praying again for you to intervene. Because when we come to stories like Elijah and Elisha, we realize this isn't just a sideline of God's. This is in his very nature to break in. So have you had enough of facing facts? Shall we look at some good stuff? <laughs> How does God intervene? Let's finish with this then. In the stories of Elijah and Elisha, we've seen three major ways in which he intervenes in the system to change our stories. And we can be expectant of all of them today. Okay? First one is this, the obvious one. He intervenes in the lives of individuals. We see in these stories healing, but also in like the stories today, we see provision, we see personal vindication, we see God intervening, breaking in personal miracles for people. Okay? I think God wants to remind each of us today that He is still keen to intervene in your individual life and in the individual lives of those around you. Could be in your health, maybe your physical health, could be your mental health. But also it could be your job situation, your friendships, marriage, family, personal provision, in your character itself. I'll ask you, are there situations in your life at the moment or in lives of individuals that you know that, like I said before, you look in it and you think, I think we all know where this is going, don't we? You understand the natural order of things. You think, this is going in a bad direction. This is, there's no real way that this could get better. Well, I want to encourage you. There is a way. Because God is a God of miracles. He's a God who breaks in from outside. We see it in Elijah and Elisha. We see it in the stories of Jesus. We see it in uh, the Acts of the Apostles. And actually we see it through everything that happens with God's intervention in the world. Have hope. Lay hold of him again. First of all, for individuals. Secondly, he intervenes and steps in to change the story of local communities. 
I know Andy's talk a couple of weeks ago was overshadowed by the, uh, the bear, but at the beginning, you might remember, he referred to another story in, one, in 2 Kings 2, where there's this body of water and this city around it, and that for some reason, it's not particularly helpful in the details here, the, the nature of the water is really badly affecting the city. It's making the land unfertile, and you can drink it, and stuff like that. And so the city's whole fortunes, in, a, in an agricultural setting like that, a problem like that is a serious problem. That limits your city hugely. What happens? God sends Elisha, he throws some salt in, and the water's cleansed, and the whole city's fortunes are transformed. God breaks into a miracle for an entire community of people. He does the same today. As a church, we are not a building. That's obvious, although we're buying a building. We're not a group of services. We're a community of people. And you know what? As we press forward into the things that God's got for us as a community of people, often we see the same things. Oh, look, look at our limited resources. Look at who, how, who the people are we've got here. Look at how things are going. Well, naturally, this is just going to work out like this. It's all heading towards disaster. Or at least not disaster, frustration. Kind of, oh, it's not what we expected it to be. But what do we do? Well, we trust God. God breaks in for communities, particularly for his people, for his church. He's known to do it throughout history. I'm going to break in. I'm going to change the fortunes of things. Not because of you, but because I do that. I'm a God of miracles. Thirdly and finally, he breaks in even wider than that at times for a whole nations of people. Again, cast your mind back a, a good number of weeks, but for many it would be a famous story. Elijah on the Mount, Mount Carmel against all the prophets of Baal. And what happens? God sends a fireball down from the sky. <laughs> and why? Like, it burns up the sacrifice in the story. But why? Well, what he's doing is a miracle to try to wrench the whole future of a nation from one direction, which is leading towards disaster, into a better direction. No, you're worshipping Baal. Everything's going wrong. This is what's happening. You're sacrificing your children, all of this. No, I will do a miracle to change the course of your whole nation. You know what? He's in the business of doing that stuff. And we need that stuff today, don't we? We do, don't we? Do we need that today? Or are we happy? Okay? But it's a Bob Marley. <laughs> no, we, we need that stuff today. Guys, we've got to be wise about our nation. Wisdom has to be shown here. It is, it is assured, according to the, what the Bible says, that if the Bible is true, our nation is heading towards disaster. Do you know that? It's not maybe. It's definite. Bible says, look, here's a load of things. If you do these things, you flourish and everything goes well. If you don't do those things, things go really badly for you. And our nation over the last whatever, however many years, has said, yeah, we're going to do absolutely none of them and we'll do all the opposite, okay? That's definite, certain disaster, okay? We, we shouldn't be under any illusions about that. But what we should be sure of is the only hope for our nation, and it's a huge hope, so it's not said with depression or pessimism, is God breaks into the system. Does it all the time for people, for communities, for whole nations. And that's what we've got to pray for. We recognize miracles. The thing about miracles we recognize, we recognize the way the world is. We know we have no other option but to come to him and to say, God, we need you. And we look at stories like this and say, And thank goodness that you've shown us in your word that you do this as part of who you are. So, we look at the facts. We face them straight in the face. And we come out the other side, I hope, with a robust faith that then goes, I see the situation's happening. What am I going to do? I'm going to come back to God. I'm going to ask him for a miracle because it's who he is.